0: And so, Lord, even though you tarry, your word says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I'm going to hold on in hope because you and your love will never fail us. And we thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that today that you will speak because your word is living and is active and it will make us alive if we will hear and obey. So, Lord, give us hearts that are ready to hear your word and to obey. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. Would you turn in your Bible or the one found in the pew rack to John, where we've begun a study of the gospel of John. And uh, Michael began us last week. And I'll pick up. It's really a wonderful, wonderful book. What we need to remember is that there's a person whose life wrote this story, this book, and his life was wrecked by the grace of God. The grace of God and the the presence of Christ so changed him that he had to get this story out. He had to. He, he knew it was light and life to the world. And therefore he had to, to give his testimony of what the life of Jesus has meant to his life. I want you to begin with the first verse, and I want you to look there. It's a very familiar one, and I'll be uh, reading out of the New American Standard. It'll be up on the screen if you'd like to look there. But I want you to look carefully at that first verse, because John wants to communicate to the Jews and to the Greeks who will be reading his his account. He wants them to understand. And so he he, appeals to both the Greeks and the Jews in these first verses. He reaches out. Listen, in the first three verses, he reaches out to the Jewish people. The exact same words. They know them well. He configures them in such a way, they're just like the Hebrew in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, it says, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, it's the story of creation. And what is John doing? He's trying to, to pique their interest. Why is he saying this? He's saying, I'm continuing the story. I'm continuing the story, focusing you where? On the fulfillment of redemptive history. It's coming to fulfillment. It began in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created and now in redemptive history, He's focusing and in bringing it into focus. Now, the Christ has come. The redemptive history, the Messiah, Yeshua, Mashiach is here. And He wanted them to understand that, that something momentous, something cataclysmic has happened. He wants all of humanity to recognize it, but first with the Jews. You see, darkness existed from the beginning, he's saying, and yet it's been pierced. The light has come. The reality is dawned. The prophecy of the ages has been fulfilled. And so when we read in Isaiah 9, the people who, who walk in darkness will see a great light. He's saying, no, not will see, have seen a great light. And the light will shine on them. No, it, it, it has shined on them. For unto us a child will be born. No, a child is born. He's given and the government rests on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see, John's saying he's here in a mystery. He's here. We beheld him full of grace and truth. He's here, the living word of God. And so he, he begins with the, with the Jews, but he moves on to appeal really to the Greeks. And it's amazing how he does this. He, he, he says, uh, th- th- there, there's, some, there's a mystery here. And what we need to understand in John's writing, by this time the early church was five to one Greek over Jews. Most of the people coming into the church were not Jews by this time. They were, they were Greeks. And so he's, John reaches out to connect and communicate and, and form a, a, a bridge. And he he he's inspired by the Holy Spirit with this concept of the Logos, the, the Word. The Word existed in both the Greek and the Jewish uh, thought. The, the Word, the Logos, was the oldest thing in creation the instrument through which God made the world, and John is saying now, the instrument through which God made the world is that same instrument through which He's entering the world. The Word has been made, the Logos has been made flesh and dwelt among us. We've beheld His glory, verse 14. He's full of grace and truth. That living spirit that created be, before time now dwells among us and is, is imparting to us. You know, Michael did a, a wonderful job last week. And I thought it was brilliant, Michael, when you read the first three verses. And I'm going to do it right now. Read with me. In the beginning, he substituted for the word Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus, I'm sorry, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. It's exactly what John wants to say. He's saying Jesus was pre-existing, the deity in the Godhead, forming the creation. He, Jesus, was in the beginning. All things, verse 3, came into being by Jesus. And apart from Him, nothing came into being which has come into being. You see, He's trying to get us to understand this culmination of of the creation has found its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. The Word has been made fulfillment flesh, the Word is now alive that created and can recreate. He goes on to say in verse 4, in Him, in Jesus, was life, and His light, His life was the light of men, a light of humanity. Light and life, you see, are, are the two great pillars the two great concepts, which uh, on which John's gospel rests, God's it begins with 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 life in Him was life, and His life was a light of men, and He ends the gospel in the very same reference when he writes his aim that men might believe John 20, 31 that men might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. You see, it's all about life and light. But beloved, it's more than that, isn't there? Because this light and life is have come into a dark world, a difficult world, a world of darkness and deep darkness, says Genesis, where there is conflict and a battle must be fought. A battle must be fought. There's hostility. Verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. You see, there's this power struggle, this hostility going on between light and darkness, these two great opposing forces in the world between light and the light of God and the darkness and despair of the world and the enemy. And how how many, beloved, have been hurt and damaged by that darkness? Everyone here has been affected in one way or another. We've been, each one of us, orphaned at times. Have you ever seen an orphan? I mean, on on TV, perhaps... The newscast of a war-torn area in Bosnia or Somalia or someplace where you see a a, a motherless child on the road sitting there crying, reaching out with their arms. You see, there is darkness. There is pain. There is an orphaning of of all of us in, in this world. I looked it up. Orphan, abandoned, cast off, forsaken. Bereft, searching, longing, with nowhere to go, with nowhere to go home to. You see, there's an orphanness in the fallenness of the creation. You know, I had the the sacred, painful privilege of seeing real orphans when I was in Romania not long after the, the Iron Curtain fell. Warehoused orphans. They'd been warehoused because the parents had to desert them. They, they were too poor to, to feed them under this evil Ceausescu, Nikolai Ceausescu, who'd done all kinds of heinous and horrible things. And, and there were these warehouses with, with little children and infants in them. And I'll never forget it. I, I was there, and by the way, I asked one of the relief workers, many of whom were Christians who came from different parts of the world, just to hold these children and to rock them. Isn't that amazing? They were there just to do that, just to hold these children and to rock them. And I asked one of the relief workers, why are so many of them cross-eyed? I'll never forget what they said, I wrote it down in my my journal, I entered it, here it is. It happened because as infants they never focused beyond their hands, hundreds and thousands of hours without any comfort or compassion besides their own hands. Thus they'd sit and look at them and rock back and forth. Stimulating the, 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 the movement of the mother's womb, which was the last warmth and comfort they had received in life. It's a painful world. There is darkness. And the truth is, all of us have been orphaned by that darkness and that difficulty and that fallenness. We're all Orphans, until the Lord takes us up. Amen? Until the Lord finds us and takes us up and takes us in, we're all, we're all orphans. I don't know what you went through. Nor do the people around you growing up, perhaps. Perhaps. But if we allow it to fester, it will make us orphans spiritually. All of us have grown up in brokenness, broken families. Even intact families are broken. Can you say amen to that? There's no such thing as a perfect family. God had to take us up. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus said. I've come for this very purpose, 1 John 3. To destroy the works of the enemy. I've come to, to set the orphan and the widow in family. Psalm 86. Come to restore the broken foundations to build up, to repair the breach, to restore the path to walk in. You see, He came for this very purpose. The Word made flesh, pierced the darkness. And yet it's a process, isn't it? I'm gonna ask Melody if she would come and just share a little bit of a story that she shared in Celebrate Recovery that was so meaningful to us. Uh, come in. Uh, uh, where's that handheld mic? Yeah. Is that on? Thank you, Melody, for coming. You want me to hold her? You, you got
1: it? Okay. Hey, um, how are y'all? Um, many of you know that um, my dad abused my mom for 13 years. Um, and um, my, my dad, so far, has not changed since I was a kid. Um, he's still abusing people. Um, he's not abusing my mom because they, my parents divorced when I was 13. I mean 12. Um, but he's moved on to other members of my family. And um, for a long time, his sin had a lot of power over me. Um, until one God, day, um, God led me to a verse that helped me to get over what had um, been done to me and other members of my family. The verse says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd always heard that the verse refers to my sin, but God showed me that the verse also included the sins of other people. Other people's sins can hurt us, can't they? well this verse says other people's sin shall not have dominion over you i'd like to take a moment to discuss what dominion is when something or someone has dominion over you it guides and controls your actions at times at one time my dad's sin guided and controlled my actions but praise god they don't anymore Amen. I am guided and controlled by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. So when I want to ask you a question, does, what hap- what does does something negative that happened in your life govern what you do now in the present? It shouldn't. The Scripture says that sin, that the sins committed against you will not have dominion over you. The only thing that should have dominion over you is the Word of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says, blessed are the meek. Well, I don't know about you, but some of the Bible words that we throw around are a little hard for me to understand. So, I don't let that discourage me. I just look it up. So, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary... Meekness means a willingness to endure injury with patience and without resentment. Let me say that again. Meekness is a willingness to endure injury with patience and without resentment. Now I'm going to define resentment for you. It's anger or ill will in view of real or fancified wrong or injury. So you feel like somebody's wronged you in some way. Okay? Psalms 37:11 says, "The meek shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace." Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:25 says, "Meekness should be used in dealing with the opposition of others." James 3:13 says, "Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you. Let him show it through meekness and wisdom. A footnote at my bi- in my Bible is really good. It says, true wisdom is always accompanied with meekness and gentleness. Psalms 25.9 says, The meek he will guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his ways let's notice something in this verse it says that that if you want god to teach you his ways you have to become meek that's a sobering thought isn't it so how did i move from allowing dad's my dad's sin to have dominion over me to having holy spirit take control I received some personal ministry in the form of discipleship a neck hole would do some teaching on the many sins that were lurking in my heart I was angry resentful unforgiving bitter unloving and fearful to name a few after she taught me what the word said about a particular sin she would ask me if I thought I was struggling with this sin if I was, she strongly encouraged me to repent for that sin and get it under the blood. And she also had me break agreement with the lies of the enemy. That's what set me free. I realized that who I am when God is in control and when I'm functioning under the influence, the giftings, and the how the power of the Holy Spirit is completely different than who I am when I'm in control making the decisions based on my own wisdom and understanding and doing things in my own strength. I began to realize that I couldn't run my own life. I decided it was time to let God run it for me. A book I was reading, I'm reading called Disciples Are Made Not Born says, when Jesus is Lord of your life, every area is under his jurisdiction. Your thoughts, your actions, your plans, the job you have, your leisure time, and your life goals. All of it is under his lordship. Praise God, I made Jesus my king once again. I learned how to do spiritual warfare and to declare that my dad's sin would no longer have dominion over me. When I realized that God really did care about me, he really did see my pain, he, he wanted to heal me, and he had the power to do it. I fell in love with my Savior again. Joseph Stolwell wrote a powerful statement that rings true in my life. He said, a genuine love for Christ should provide the power to transform our response to everything and everyone in our world, regardless of how hostile or difficult. You can do it too. You can give God complete access to every area of your life. And you can declare that sister or brother so-and-so's sin will not have dominion over you in the name of Jesus. Their sin will not mentally and emotionally affect you, nor will it pollute your life. Other people's sin do not have to have a negative effect on you. Think about that. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? You say, how is that possible? When someone says or does something that could hurt me, how can their sin not affect me? The answer is the blood of Jesus. You can apply the blood of Jesus to your heart and mind so that other people's sin will not mentally and emotionally affect you. Their sin will not have dominion over you because the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to, To forgive overlook the offense love the unlovable and release anger bitterness and resentment that you'd feel towards that person and one more thing that's important for me to point out it's not just other people's sin that I had to take authority over I had to look at myself and I had to take authority over the sin that was in my life and when I did that that's when I got free Um, I confessed my sin and um, I claimed victory in the name of Jesus and I said and you can do it too you can say my, neither my sin nor the sins of anyone else will have dominion over me in the name of Jesus Amen. that is a declaration that you can make for yourself Hebrews 12 one says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness says let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us and let us run the race marked out for us we are not alone we are not running on our own and we are not running on our own strength and power Sandra kennedy said something very powerful she said god's word gives us the power to do what other people cannot
0: amen thank you lord thank you thank you There is a battle to be fought. Verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist, and he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He, Jesus, came to his own, and they did not receive him. But, and here's the good news, it's the good news, it's the whole Bible in one verse. Verse 12, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become The children of God, even to those who were born, who believed in his name. It's the whole Bible, beloved, in one verse. You may have been orphaned. You may have been rejected. But God, but God came to redeem you. He came to find you. He came back for you. He came looking for you. He wanted to adopt you, to engraft you. I looked up the word uh, adopt. He came by choice. He wants you back. It says he, he t- to, to take by choice in relationship, to accept formally, to choose, a legally binding agreement, to seek out and select, to choose, to take as one's own, to pursue To accept or act in accordance with the plan, you see, Jesus, the pre-existing deity, was acting in accordance with the plan to redeem and adopt back humanity, to recreate, to do that that work of of communion with us, and that's what this chapter, beloved, is all about. It's about being adopted. It being, being adopted, God is adopting an orphan humanity and helping them find their true identity in Christ. If you want to find your true identity in Christ, how is that possible? You know, I was, I was thinking to myself, how do we find our true worth you're sitting there and uh, today where does your worth and your identity your value the way you perceive yourself where where does it actually come from is it others opinions of you is it what you have done in your past is it what others did to you is that the way you get your value and your worth and your identity? You see, the Word of God is saying something to us this morning. He's saying there's something different. The Word of God and our Lord Jesus says our true identity doesn't come from what you did or what other people did to you. It comes from who you belong to. Amen? Amen? To as many as received Him. If you receive me, says Jesus... To you, I give you the right and the power and the authority to become something you were not. I give you the right and the power and the authority to come into my family. I have sought you. I've come back for you. I want you back in my family is what Jesus is saying here. Come To be a child of God, but you must, in the adoption process, it's not only an offer, we must receive it, says the Word of God. We must believe to receive in Jesus' name. And it says, those who were born, verse 13, not of blood, nor of the flesh. What is he saying? He's saying, look, this, this wasn't just a one night stand, this wasn't a whim of the flesh. Something of the will of man, but of God. You're chosen. God came for you. He sought you out to redeem. But don't, I'll end with this. We cannot underestimate the fact that there is a battle to be fought. Remember what Jesus did in the wilderness? When the enemy came to him after 40 days, what did he attack in Jesus' life? He said, if you are the Son of God. Each each temptation begins with if you are. He's attacking what? He's attacking your identity. Jesus said to the disciples, and I've pointed this out before, but how do we know what happened in the wilderness? Nobody was with Jesus. But it's in all the Gospels. How did they know what happened in the wilderness? Jesus told them. And why did he tell them? He said, it, this happened to me, and it's going to happen to you. See, the enemy is going to come. He's going to attack your identity, your worth, where your identity and value is. And Jesus is saying, you've got to know who you are not according to your feelings, not according to what you did or others did to you. But what is it that God says? Who do you, <coughs> excuse me, belong to? Do you know your identity in, in him? There's a battle to be fought. Something is going to define us, is gonna fill the vacuum. Nature pours a vacuum, right? Either you're going to define yourself or you're going to be defined, says the word of God, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus is saying, define yourself. You've received me, and I've given you the right and the power to to know that you are a child of, of God. Don't be passive. You can't be passive in a battle. There's a battle to be fought, but there's good news. The weapons of our warfare, beloved, are powerful for the destruction of fortresses. They work if you work them. There's good news, the light always ultimately triumphs over the darkness, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the, fo- on the waters, and God said, let there be light, and the light dispersed the darkness. Isn't that true? And the light always triumphs, and God saw the light, it says, and it was good. It is good that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Lord, thank you that we have begun to behold your glory. But we need to see it more and more clearly and more and more deeply because, Lord, each of us are tempted to have an orphan heart. There's something missing. There's something that needs to be filled. And Lord, that emptiness is a relationship. We have to have a deeper relationship with you. And we have to risk having relationship with others. Lord, we know that our hearts, as Melody said, they have to be open. Torment is a consequence of closing your heart. Unforgiveness. It imprisons, says Jesus. To go free, Lord, we have to agree with you. We have to forgive. We have to be willing to let go of those who have have wounded us and let you be their judge. And so, Lord, even as we close today... I just ask, Lord, that you'd give us an opportunity to agree with your word. That's what repentance is. Ultimately, it's agreeing with your word. We, we want an open heart to receive the things from you, but if we don't forgive and give as we've been given, it's, it's blocked. So, Lord, we ask now, we just take a minute to ask on two or three different things. We want to ask you to forgive us. For holding bitterness toward our parents who who perhaps have misrepresented your heart, Lord, and I no longer blame or hold against them who I am or who i 've become lord i 'm a child of God now, not just the child of of doug or, or louise or no i 'm your child. I forgive and release my judgment. second, I ask Lord that you would release us to go back and ask forgiveness of parents where we may have rebelled and and hurt them. We've closed our hearts to protect ourselves, Lord. We need to now open our hearts through letting go of of bitterness. Revenge on hold is what bitterness is. We don't want that eating in our heart. Lord, we we want to let go of pride and acknowledge, Lord, that we need to be loved as, as sons and daughters. We need to forgive those in spiritual authority like pastors or government officials or, 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 or bosses who have hurt and disappointed us. And finally, Lord, we want to ask that, that you would show us, as you did, Melody, others spiritually who have grown that we can partner with. That we even can be mentored by, who can speak into our life, where we learn to renounce ungodly, hidden lies that rob us and announce uh, the, 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 the blessings of God to lay hold of the promises of God Lord cause us to get into those kind of relationships where we can, can exhort each other to stand on your words and to claim your words. Lord, thank you that this scripture is a life verse for me. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become. I love that word, become, because Lord, you make it possible. We ask today that the Word of God would be living and active in us, that we would put it in our mouth and do that spiritual battle. We have the full assurance, Lord, that the weapons of our warfare are powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Amen? Amen. We have power in Jesus' name. And we want to put that power in our mouths. Even as you said to Joshua, be strong and take up courage. Put my words in your mouth. They'll make you successful. Lord, may we lay hold of the promises of God and become not orphans, but heirs. In the precious name of the one who makes it possible, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.